Hey everyone, this is Karen Stefano, author of The Secret Games of Wolves, and I am delighted to have with me today uh, the amazing Renee Denfeld, author of The Enchanted and also the newly released novel, The Child Finder. How are you, Renee? I'm doing wonderful. How about yourself? I'm doing great, and uh, I'm so thrilled to have you with me today, and I want to congratulate you on your new fabulous novel. It's, uh, it was a thrill to get an advanced copy and be one of the first people to read it, and, and you've, you've written another beautiful book. Oh, thank you. I'm, I, I have to say I'm really honored that you feel that way. And I'm even more honored to be um, on Rare Birds. So I really appreciate this. Thank you. Well, well, uh, thank you for for joining us. And since the book did just come out, and many people will be hearing this podcast and won't have had a chance to to get their copy yet, uh, could you just give everyone who's listening a, a, a brief description of The Child Finder? Yeah, sure. Um, You know, it's being called a literary uh, thriller. I'm a literary novelist, um, but it's a very propulsively fast-paced plotted book. And it tells the story of a young woman uh, investigator who, her name is Naomi, um, and she's called the child finder uh, because she specializes in finding missing children. And uh, Naomi has been hired by the parents of a girl that the little girl that went missing in a very snowy, remote, treacherous mountain region here in Oregon uh, while the family was out cutting a Christmas tree. And it's been three years, and this little girl, Madison, has been presumed dead in the woods. Uh, And these parents have hired Naomi to see if, in fact, she is still alive or if they can find anything about what happened to their little daughter. Literary thriller, I think, is is a good way to describe this book. It's definitely a page turner, and yet with such a lovely lyrical voice uh, from both points of view uh, that the story is told from. And um, would you be willing to read a few pages for us, Renee? Oh, yeah, I would absolutely um, love to. Shall I go ahead and pick a section here and... Yes, and get please. started. Okay. Yeah. Um, I will. There's a there's a section that's actually right in the front of the book, and uh, just to kind of set it up for a little bit. So Naomi, the child finder, has been asked over to the home of the the Culver family, whose little girl went missing in the woods. And as you just mentioned, actually, the story is juxtaposed between two points of view. There's Naomi. And then there's a little girl, this won't give too much too away of too much of the plot. There's a little girl who um, is in a really terrifying situation. Um, and she's come to believe that she's a character from a fairy tale uh, called the Snow Girl. And so those are very lyrical sections describing the experience of this little girl as she kind of learns how to survive. Um, but this is a section that's in the very beginning of the book, and it's Naomi visiting the home of these parents for the first time. And I'll just go ahead and get started. I'd like to see her room, Naomi said after a bit, putting her coffee down. The mother led her through the house while the father stayed in the living room. The kitchen looked sterile. An old-fashioned cookie jar sat collecting dust on its rim. The fat belly said, Grandma's cookies. 
Naomi wondered the last time that Grandma had visited. My husband thinks I should go back to work, the mother said. Naomi talked very gently. Work is good. But I can't, the mother said, and Naomi understood. You can't leave your house if at any moment your child might come home. The door opened to a room of perfect sadness. There was a twin bed covered with a Disney quilt, a series of pictures on the wall. Madison's room read the letters above the bed. There was a small bookshelf and a larger desk covered with a mess of pens and markers. Above the desk was a reading chart from her kindergarten teacher. Super reader, it said. There was a gold star for every book Madison had read that fall before she went missing. The smell was of dust and staleness. The smell of a room that had not been occupied for three years. Naomi stepped next to the desk. Madison had been drawing. Naomi could imagine her getting up from the drawing, bolting out to the car while her dad called impatiently. It was a picture of a Christmas tree covered with heavy red globes. A group stood next to it, a mom and a dad with a little girl and a dog. My family, the caption announced. It was a typical little kid drawing with large heads and stick figures. Naomi had seen dozens of these in similar bedrooms. Each time, they felt like a stab wound to her heart. She picked up a wide-ruled writing journal off the desk, thumbing through the clumsy but exuberant entries. She was a good writer for her age, Naomi remarked. She's bright, the mother responded. Naomi went to the open closet. Inside was an array of colorful sweaters and well-washed cotton dresses. Madison liked bright colors she could see. Naomi fingered the cuff of one of the sweaters and then another. She frowned. These are all frayed, she noted. She would pick at them, all of them, the mother said. Unravel the threads. I was always trying to get her to stop. Why? Naomi asked. I don't know anymore. I would do anything. Naomi spoke very softly. You know she's most likely dead. She had found it better just to say it, especially when so much time had passed. The mom froze. I don't believe she is. The two women faced each other. They were close to the same age, but Naomi had the bloom of health on her cheeks while the mom was drawn with fear. Someone took her, the mother said firmly. If they did take her and we find her, she won't come back the same. You have to know that now, Naomi said. The woman's lips trembled. How will she come back? Naomi stepped forward. She came close enough that they almost touched. There was something magnificent in her gaze. She will come back needing you. Wow. Thank you, Renee. That is early in the beginning of the of the book, and what a great hook for everyone who's listening. Um, uh, people you. are like uh, scrolling over to Amazon right now and, and hitting order, put this in my cart right away, um, <laughs> just from that hook. Uh, I wanted to ask you something. There's a bit of an autobiographical component to your fiction, isn't there? Uh, in the Enchanted, a primary character referred to throughout as simply the lady is an investigator whose whose job is to dig for information in death penalty appeals. And I know that you're an investigator who has worked on such appeals. And here in The Child Finder, we have another investigator, Naomi, 
who was a foster child. And I know from your recent modern love essay that came out in the New York Times last month, uh, as well as from stalking you a little bit on social media, uh, <laughs> that you've uh, that you've adopted is it is it three foster children that you have? Yes, I've, adop- I know I've adopted three three kids from okay. that were waiting children in foster care. Okay, and and then you fostered several others, right? I've, I've fostered a few others as well. Yes. Can you tell me how much of the child finder stems from your own personal experience? Oh, certainly. Um, you know, honestly, it's a deeply personal novel for me. Um, you know, there's that the old writers saying that you should write what you know, and I think there's a lot of truth to that. And it's it's why we actually need so desperately writers from a variety of backgrounds, you know, writers from marginalized backgrounds, writers with different life experiences, because I think there's so many stories that need to be told. And so, you know, in my case, you know, like most writers, I have a day job. Only mine is, is rather atypical in that I decided to become a licensed investigator. Like you mentioned the character in my first novel, as well as Naomi, that's the kind of work that I do. And it's, uh, it's been just, you know, it's a amazing work. It's been so transformative to me. I have a chance to help people. Um, it's been just very redemptive. Um, and as a writer, honestly, it's a profound source of inspiration to hear people's stories and to learn about the lives of others and be welcomed into their lives to help them. And I've also, you know, adopted, as, for the last 20 years, I've been a foster adoptive parent. So those two kind of threads of my life just kind of came together. And in a sense, it kind of felt like they exploded in this novel. Um, mm-hmm. It's a very personal kind of story because these characters are all either things I've experienced or things that my loved ones have experienced. And, and you know, I think it just the, the whole story is kind of imbued with that. And, I you know, I want to kind of say just very quickly that, for me, it's imbued with a sense of optimism because of that. There's a, a, to me, it's a very actually optimistic story because it's about how people survive terrible things and can come out the other side. It is interesting because arguably it's a very dark story. Uh, it's, it's a mystery. Uh, and, you know, as, as Naomi's going about her job, she's, uh, having to reckon with things inside herself but in spite of the dark setting I definitely felt the sense of hope in the book and maybe the book resonated with me so deeply because it is so personal to you and that just came across on the page but uh, it's you know that's what makes it such a unique book I think the the darkness of the setting and yet the 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 hopefulness of it and oh. yes the message of survival. Yeah, thank you. Well, you know, if you don't mind me asking, I know your background is in criminal um, legal work as well, isn't it? Right, right. Uh, for the first eight years uh, when I practicing law, I did I did criminal defense exclusively, and uh, I'm still in in touch. Uh, with a lot of my uh, former colleagues. In fact, uh, yesterday just had lunch with a, a dear friend of mine who exclusively at this point does death penalty cases. And frankly, I don't know how he does it uh, because 
uh, you know, just some of the fact patterns in his cases are, are, are terrible. And uh, mm-hmm. he travels into areas, uh, very conservative areas, uh, where there uh, where redemption isn't <laughs> isn't really a, isn't really a life value. Uh, judgment is more the value. But but yes, that, so so you and I sort of have that in common. Oh, is that yeah? It's, I think it's fascinating. I don't know if you found that the work. I mean, doing that kind of work, did you find that it ended up making you more hopeful or, or less hopeful about humanity in general? More more hopeful, and it. It certainly colored my view of humanity in general. Uh, One of my uh, downfalls or one of my gifts, depending on how you look at it and depending on any given day, is that I'm an extremely sensitive person, uh, maybe overly so. And I... I, you know, I see something, I think, in, in everyone, and I don't, I don't just see what's on the outside. I know that everyone has a story, and, uh, you know, people on death row, they have a story. Uh, they're, you know, something, something went very wrong to get them there, and uh, I, I don't know. I guess it's just an experience that just made me see the humanity in, in, in everyone. Mm-hmm. That's beautifully put. I, I absolutely agree. Yeah, so it's sort of an interesting thing that we have in common. Uh, but I, I want to ask you something else about uh, the child finder. Early in the book, there is an interesting dialogue between Naomi and a character named Earl Strikes. And they're talking about fear. And Naomi says, fear never keeps anyone safe. And I think, Renee, that fear is one of our most fascinating emotions or senses, uh, if you will, both in our lives and on the page. And I was wondering if you'd be willing to share with us your own personal experience with fear. Oh, wow. Um, Yes, absolutely. And, you know, I... You know, you and I could probably <laughs> sit down over a glass of wine or a cup of coffee, and and I, we could talk for hours. I bet on the subject of fear because I share yeah. the same fascination. And yeah. there's so many layers to fear. Um, you know, I think as women in particular, we are encouraged to be afraid, mm-hmm. and uh, fear can can sometimes constrain people's lives to the point where you know, they don't do things or experience life with all of its beautiful passions and glory um, because they're afraid. And so I just, yes, I, I'm fascinated with fear because fear has been such a big part of my life as well. I uh, had a, a very difficult childhood. I've written about um, my some of my experiences. The man I consider my father is uh, now a registered predatory sex offender. And so because of a lot of different things that happened to me, I spent a good part of my early childhood in terror. And, um, you know, it's fascinating, you know, it's, it's, I, sometimes I think of it like a vortex that can open up and, and, and mm. pull us under. Uh, and that's, that's always, that that's vortex is kind of always there. Yeah. And, mm. and I'm, so I'm, I'm just, I'm very focused and, and concerned with how we help people through the fear how we recognize fear, the place fear has, you know, how we help people 
handle fear and recover from fear. Um, but yeah, I experienced a great deal of fear as an early childhood in early childhood, and I think it definitely shaped who I am. And I spend a lot of my time trying to be very mindful about that fear and what it means um, to me. There's so much, you know, it's one to me, it's one of those emotions where we spend a lot of times in our society judging, condemning and telling other people how to feel instead of just stopping and pausing and listening and hearing and validating their experiences. Um, you know, in particular, you mentioned that the, the comment that Naomi says fear never keeps anyone safe and I really wanted to kind of explore that in this novel that sometimes the very things that we do to avoid harm don't really keep us safe. (laughs) There's so much more that we could do um, that to actually prevent the harm instead of expecting a group, some groups of people to run around avoiding it. How about we turn our attention to actually preventing the harm from happening? I mean, it's, it's uh, really well, well explored in this novel. And uh, wow. Thank you for opening up about your own experiences with fear it's it's you know I've I'm you know everyone has had to face trauma and you you know you 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 recover from that trauma uh gracefully or uh not so gracefully as the case may be uh and but what's more difficult for me is the fear that we face that's that's not a result of trauma per se that's a result of just persistent worry and anxiety and uh i I call it terrorizing ourselves with ourselves and uh Mm -hmm. that's something that especially in uh today's political climate it's it's just so easy to go there. And yeah, like you, I, I have to really try to keep myself in, in check because otherwise fear, just fear of the ordinary can be debilitating. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and, you know, I think we're, there's so many of these different threads. We're enculturated often to be fearful. And, you know, for some, for instance, I think we have to be very aware and cognizant of how uh, it, that fear might play out, for instance, with racial biases um, right. and the different choices that people make of like, what is a so-called safe neighborhood as opposed to an unsafe neighborhood? And, you know, those those fears can really constrain us and, and limit us and lead us to places that are not our best selves. Um, you know, so, yeah, I'm also very mindful about, you know, what is what is my fear telling me? When is my fear, you know, a, a an animal I need to listen to and and when is it you know where I'm as you are talking about using it to direct it back at myself and to limit myself Mm -hmm. for my own work and my like my my kids and what I do I can't I don't feel like I'm somebody that can create and write or parent or be a loving activist if I'm working from a place of of despair or bitterness or fear, I I have to really engage with life on this kind of, I guess this to me it feels like this magical kind of level of like engaging with life outside the fear, engaging with the risk of it, the beauty of life. Because I, you know, and I think that's something that comes across in the child finders. Despite all the trauma I've experienced and seen, I I'm still convinced that the world is an amazingly beautiful place. Um, yeah, and to and that, me, that's that, the antidote to the fear. 
Yeah, and that's and that definitely comes across uh, in in the child finder, and it comes across from from you as a person. I mean, from what from what I've read about you and uh, your you know again your modern love essay, which was beautiful. Uh, but oh, thank you. Yeah, it's uh, it's pretty remarkable. And it, another great line in the the child finder, which I, I think is related to Naomi's statement, fear never keeps anyone safe. Uh, Naomi answers a question posed by the mother of, of Madison, and she answers it by saying, because I know freedom. And it, it sounds to me, Renee, like that, that you, you do know freedom in, in spite of a traumatic personal past and in spite of fear, but in being able to know that freedom, it's it's a learned skill that you really had to work on yourself to have that loving uh, point of view. Am, am I wrong? Oh no, I think you're you're absolutely right, and it's you know is is one of the many ways in which the book you know has felt very personal because I I feel like I did find freedom, and I you know I think that that's you know, one of the themes of the novel is is all the ways in which we can feel trapped. And I think, you know, right now in our country, for instance, a lot of us are feeling trapped um, mm-hmm. with the political situation. So, you know, we can feel trapped by circumstances or emotions and, you know, we can feel lost and alone. And so much of the novel is people trying to rescue each other and rescue themselves and, and trying to find freedom. Um, trying to find that place where they feel safe, the sanctuary. And yeah. just in my life and in my experience, that, that the way that happens is it's not always an inner journey. It's an outer journey in which we connect to the humanity of others. Um, I think sometimes the the way that we save ourselves is we save other people. Um, yeah. And to me, that's the ultimate form of freedom. You know, the ultimate form of freedom is is in kind of, stepping outside the fear, stepping outside the terror uh, into just kind of a sense of humanity and connection with others. So um, how about you? How do you feel about freedom? Does it have any personal meaning for you? For me, freedom is a state of mind. And for me, it's tied very closely to, to the issue of fear. And uh, sometimes I, Sometimes I'm able to feel free in the world and I'm able to just, like I was saying, look around and see the humanity in everyone. And other times I, you know, I retreat into a fearful place. And when you're, when you're feeling afraid, uh, whether that's a a legitimate fear or a neurotic fear, uh, you, you can't feel freedom. So that's that's my personal belief anyway, and so it's something honestly that uh, that that I that I have to work on to to keep my uh, to keep my mental focus where it should be, so that I can be in a freedom state of mind. Mm-hmm. So yes, and that makes. Yeah. So much sense. You know, I think it's interesting in our, in our society, too, 
you know, sometimes we think the, the way to become free is to incarcerate everybody else. <laughs> you know, we, <laughs> yeah. we, we, we look at, we think the answer is to, to get rid of the danger and lock up half the population, but that's, that's really not the path to freedom either. Um, yeah. So it's a, you know, along with fear to me, it's an immensely fascinating topic. And Naomi is a character who is in some ways much more comfortable in a place where she's taking risk than she would be in the sort of family situations that other people would find safe. And I found that a fascinating part about her. Yeah, she's, she's a fascinating character. And uh, again, I, and I swear everyone, I'm not giving uh, all the best lines of the book because there are, there are a million of them there. Um, but here, here's another one. Uh, Naomi was constantly amazed at all the little worlds that exist outside our own. And I love that perspective. Uh, and it, it encapsulates Naomi uh, in, in, in a way. Um, she's a very complicated character. But I love, I love that perspective that she shares there. And can you, can you tell me what prompted that line? You know, I, that was, I think that's something that I've felt so many times doing my investigative work. I live, the, the novel is set here in Oregon where I live. And I live in Portland, Oregon in a neighborhood. It's a, it's a, actually a really great diverse working class neighborhood. But I can get in my car and point it an hour and a half in any direction. And I can be in severe rural poverty. Um, and I think that's so true of our country in general, that there's pockets of privilege or pockets of, of you know, relative stability. And then there's all the other worlds that exist inside our own that people often don't experience. Um, but I've been lucky enough to experience and to go into these other worlds and to be welcomed into, you know, people that live literally in shacks covered with blue tarps out in the woods, uh, dying timber towns, um, cities that have been decimated, uh, you know, country places where there's meth epidemics, you know, just all sorts of different yeah. worlds, including sometimes, you know, stunningly beautiful uh, places. I've been, you know, uh, visited reservations. I've uh, spent time in, in forested regions where people are living lives that probably haven't changed in a hundred years. Uh, that definitely kind of came through in this book. And, and so it was kind of a, a mm -hmm. chance to kind of show some of these other worlds that I think we, we, we miss. Um, and to me, that's part of the beauty of life is just that, that wondrous kind of complexity and all these little cultures that we have, all these little worlds inside our own. Yeah. And, and taking, and taking the moment to step outside of ourselves and think about what life is like, uh, inside the skin of another person, you know, what are their fears and what mm -hmm. are their anxieties and what makes them feel free. And it's, you know, it's, it's, uh, by definition, a healthy exercise, I think, to try to have empathy and think about what's going through another person's head. What's, what's, what's their life like? And, uh, uh, some some people in this country right now are 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 doing that and they're putting up the good fight and a lot of people aren't and it's uh it's it's unbelievably uh sad sometimes but mm -hmm. I, yeah i agree uh, i think we've so lost our way in so many ways and yeah. that's you know but the only way to really you know we can't prevent what we don't understand as well 
And I think, you know, for me, I, I want to prevent, I want to understand. And, and to do so, you have to, you have to really walk into those lives and get to know those worlds and to just really, you know, see the situation and people as they are. Um, and, you know, I think we, we sometimes we need to get out of our little bubbles sometimes in order to, yeah. to do that. And it's when we actually, I think part of my optimism is because I think when you're actually working one-on-one with people, it's, it's impossible not to see their humanity. It's, it's impossible yeah. not to connect with them. And that's a very hopeful thing to do is to connect with people. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and yet and sometimes as writers, uh, it's, it's difficult to, to, to not self self isolate. I find myself going in and out of, out of that problem as well, but, but that's a, that's another story. And um, <laughs> we're starting to, we're, we're getting close to running out of time, Renee. So I wanted to ask you just one more question, if I could, before we wrap this up uh, in your recent modern love column, uh, you shared with the world a, a beautiful, moving piece of yourself and the love and redemption that you've gained through your adopted children. And would you be willing to share a personal story reflecting how you've been impacted or changed even uh, through an experience as a private investigator? Yeah, sure. Uh, you know, it's, I can, I'll tell a quick one. You know, there's been so many of them, which I think is, you know, been so transformative for me because for all the harm that people can commit, there is so much resiliency and courage and love out there. Um, you know, I remember one case I was asked to help a, a woman who was a victim of horrific sex trafficking and she was a refugee and she was going to get deported and she had been kidnapped into the most horrific kind of rape trafficking. And despite that, they were going to deport her where she was going to into a situation where she would have been facing even more harm and she probably would have been murdered. And I was asked to help out on this case and investigate it to try to get her political asylum. And, uh, Oh, she had an amazing team of these young, uh, law students, you know, like 20 year olds can save people's lives. And it was just remarkable. And so I helped out on this case and did an investigation and uh, something happened, which usually doesn't happen in those cases, is the judge granted her asylum. And today that woman, yeah, she's now working and she has kids and she's, you know, a contributing healthy member of our society. And to be able to witness that kind you know that woman's courage is just immense and to witness her journey and to be part of it i just feel so incredibly lucky wow that's uh that's remarkable and uh that's that that's amazing that uh that that you were able to be a part of of transforming this woman's life and yeah there are so many other stories where it doesn't go that way and mm-hmm. uh so uh that's that, that's an an amazing thing uh but uh renee so uh the child finder just came out you're going to be busy 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 promoting the book uh i when are you reading at pals i actually i did my my launch last night at pals 
and it was okay. absolutely amazing. I just love indie stores, and actually, I worked at Pals when I was younger, so I was such oh. A, a oh, I I think indie booksellers are the best. Um, yeah, well, so Pals yeah, in particular, it's my happy place. Oh, oh my gosh, <laughs> it's, yeah, isn't it? I just you know I feel as deliriously happy as a child whenever I go in there. Um, yeah. So, yeah, I had that last night, and I'm getting ready to go on tour, and there's a lot of just wonderful things happening with the Child Finder. Well, I'm I'm so happy for you. Uh, everyone who's listening, get your copy at your indie bookstore, on Amazon, uh, wherever books are sold. The Child Finder is an absolute delight, uh, beautiful story uh, written by a beautiful woman. So thank you so much for joining me today, Renee. Oh, thank you for having me. It was an absolute pleasure. So very appreciative. Thank you. Okay, thanks. Bye-bye.